This podcast was founded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our deepest respects to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners and elders past, present and emerging. We honour and celebrate the contributions of the oldest living civilization to art and storytelling. We all misbehave sometimes Want to change the world Hello and welcome to Bad Behaviour, the show for rebellious spirits unafraid to tackle the taboo. I'm Rosalind. And I'm Nicola. Woohoo! Welcome to another episode. How are you going, Nikki? I'm so good. I'm very ready. I kind of have a sneaky little question for you that's relevant to the topic today. And I just thought, let's be sneaky cheeky, right? Hit me with it. I want to hear. Okay. Today we're talking about intimacy on set. We're talking about intimacy coordination, how people do sex scenes on film and stage, all of that juicy, juicy stuff. So interesting. So excited. Do you have a sex scene or an intimate scene that had a really big impact on you in your life? Like there's certainly ones that I've seen where I'm like, oh, a woman wrote this or you know someone was advocating for like the female gaze in this sex scene for sure I think that's so obvious from the first moment a sex scene happens you can tell you know who's written it who's directed it like those types of boundaries are super clear to me as a viewer but I think ones that I really enjoy are which ones have I really liked The first one that comes to mind is, do you know the scene from Atonement with Kira Knightley? Oh, at the bookshelf and the green dress? James McAvoy. That is an iconic one. I really like that. It definitely confused me a little bit, just like the aerodynamics of it all are a bit (laughs) off. Like, I feel like it wouldn't happen like that at all. Zero gravity moment. Yeah, Kira Knightley is just a wisp of air in that scene, but she looks so good and that green dress. And then I think the other ones that I really liked are all from gay films. Like, you know, when we speak about sex scenes, I think it speaks to the fact that you and I would like watch gay films together when we were in middle school as like a thinking that we were arty and chic but really we were just super gay and looking for (laughs) some answers but like yeah those are the scenes that stand out to me like the ones with representation like I have my favorite ones from the L word there's this movie that Rosalind and I love called Guys and Balls it's this German this German gay film it I would highly recommend it and there's a scene in an elevator the storyline's beautiful the characters are beautiful and the sex scene scenes are beautiful there's also an extended cut on YouTube that I think Nicola you've probably watched a hundred times <laughs> oh the extended cut I have perused I kind of had a agenda when I asked you because I think that there definitely are for me and they're all gay and it was because it was all of these scenes that were treated as intimate moments between two people rather than a porn category. Like I got so sick of movies where 
having two lesbian characters having sex was this really like gratuitous like moment and and they were sort of like slipping and sliding on each other and like things happening you're like anatomically what's happening are they enjoying it like what is going on it just felt so othered and the pov is off too some random man is running that that camera who has no idea about lesbian sex or women in general has never managed to give a woman an orgasm in their life. Well, they certainly haven't managed to give a woman an orgasm as a woman because it's very clear they don't know entirely, like, anatomically how that even works, you know? Some of the ones that I think of are not sex at all. They're just, like, intimate moments, like the first kiss. Oh, I love a first kiss, you know? Like, the the music, (laughs) like, rises and the the shot gets a bit closer and, like, all of this stuff is happening and there's some heavy breathing and then suddenly... There, oh, I love it. I love it so much. One of my favorite all-time lesbian relationships as a teenager was Skins, Naomi and Emily. They definitely were part of my sexual awakening. You know, I'm with her, grabs hand, walks out. Oh, beautiful moment. Beautiful moment. We're in the forest on the bloody picnic blanket. That was something else. That That scene stuck with me. That was so gorgeous. Guys, I don't know how to say this, but we're talking to Ida O'Brien today. Ida is an incredible woman. She basically pioneered intimacy coordinating. Uh, She really worked really hard on the intimacy on set guidelines, working with a number of different collaborators, but she has really pushed this incredible envelope that really was necessary. And once you learn more about it, you realize it's so obvious that it's necessary. So let's jump right in. I'm so excited for this one. I am an intimacy coordinator and well actually my background is as a movement director and an actor and a dancer. Um, That's my journey in this profession. As an intimacy coordinator we are practitioners who bring a best practice to a whole production be it theatre, TV or film. So we're supporting the producer to put in place best practice and a professional process with the intimate content. We're supporting the director to be able to listen to their vision for the intimate content and then a clear process through which to journey in order to create that. Speak to the actors, finding out their requirements and that's regarding nudity, simulated sexual content and touch so that everything is known. The actors are able to speak about what's okay for them and most importantly what's not okay for them and for that to be listened to and heard so that they can feel respected and empowered so that nothing's going to be asked of them that's outside of their boundaries. And then we work with all the different practitioners to support that, like the wardrobe, makeup, first AD, DOP, director of photography, sound, to make sure that everybody is ready. We put in place a rehearsal so that, be it getting it up on stage or getting it in front of the camera for TV or film, that that process has been journeyed through in a professional way with clear choreography. So it allows everybody to serve the writing, serve the director's vision, have best practice, and at the end of the day, create the best intimate content for the production. Incredible. What is the difference between a set that hasn't got an intimacy coordinator and a set that does? Well, before the role of the intimacy coordinator and the intimacy on set guidelines, there was a void and without a professional structure and process to go through in order to engage with the intimate content, the intimate content was like the elephant in the room. It was the thing that wasn't spoken about. 
because of embarrassment very often. I mean, there are, of course, there are cases where producers or directors that are historic and out there in, in the press have used the intimate content in order to be predatory or abusive. But most of the time, it was just people were embarrassed to talk about the intimate content openly, clearly, professionally, and certainly not artistically, because there wasn't that forum to do that. And so in that void, it was left, um, you know, the wardrobe department invariably sort of soaked up that preparation because they're the ones that have to prepare the different modesty garments that they'd be on that but it would sort of be a conversation with them and the actor it would probably be the day on set that the director would go okay this is this is the scene this is what i want why don't you two go away and work it out for yourselves so that's where you've got these two actors who have listened to the director who are trying their best in order to put in place the intimate content in the best way they can, where they're trying to simultaneously take care of themselves, take care of each other personally, and then create something that's right for the scene. But of course, in that scenario, it's not professional. You know, that thing of, okay, let's just do it in one, that deep breath, close your eyes, let's just do it in that, you know, unconscious, no breathing, just let's get it over because it's the worst thing possible way. And you can see in that scenario, there's no way that anybody can really bring artistry, bring presence, bring consciousness, bring detail, bring beauty, bring, you know, serving of character. And um, yeah, and that's how historically it has been done. I feel like it's one of those things where once you hear about it, it seems so obvious that you need it. It's just essential because otherwise it's not really it's not really acting at that point, is it? That's exactly right. And yet the bizarre thing is this idea of, oh, but there's got to be chemistry. We've got to make sure that they, these kids really fancy each other. You know, you, I've had people telling me in theatre that the director said, oh, we're going to do the intimate scenes tomorrow. Why don't you two go out and have lunch together? You know, and it's like who they are personally has got nothing to do with what they can bring professionally. The other aspect is that as human beings, we are sexual beings, you know, our fundamental life things are, you know, procreation and survival. So in that sense, we all have sex. So that's not something that we need a practitioner to come and choreograph. But however, we don't all know how to do a tango. So of course we're gonna bring in a choreographer. We don't all know how to pretend to do a fight. You know, we can't have someone's nose ending up halfway across the face. So of course we're gonna need a fight director or a stunt coordinator. But because of that thing of, well, we all have sex, then there wasn't that sense that we need a practitioner who has body skills, who has choreographic skills in order to be able to choreograph this moment, the idea that it is a dance, it is a body dance, just the same as choreographing a waltz or a tango or a fight or a stunt. You know, it needs equally that careful choreography. A lot of people think that having really blatant controversial sex scenes or like full frontal nudity or all of those things are the things that are pushing the boundaries of film and society and ideas and in some cases perhaps in context that does because it's about vulnerability or it's about their context in society or whatever it is but nudity is not inherently controversial it's not at all true and then you've got this idea that that's like the thing that's pushing pushing boundaries in the world and so you know Ita speaks on how 
it used to be that that people would just throw actors into these situations because everyone knows how to have sex and so everyone should know how to do this and we're trying to make a film here and we're pushing the boundaries of what's okay and what isn't and just go and, and get it done and putting people in really vulnerable situations. And so I was thinking about it because I think that's true with so many things that people will go, we want to push the envelope here. We want to make sure we're seeming really, I don't know, seeming really, really woke and well-informed. And so we're just going to go straight to the sensational and straight to the full-on taboo. And I feel like with bad behavior, we sometimes talk about really taboo, really sensational topics. And it's a really important thing to say when you're trying to push the boundaries of these really difficult conversations, it's important that you're not pushing the boundaries of specific people having them. That's a really intriguing topic to think about, like what's just done for sensational sake versus what actually has intention. I was just thinking that as an actor, that must be so terrifying, (laughs) like to be in that situation where you're, just it it's assumed knowledge like your boundaries are just assumed no one's had a conversation you're you don't know the person that you're necessarily in this particular scene with like that is absolutely terrifying and I'm sure it's led to a lot of traumatized people it's no coincidence that in Hollywood these actors and actresses and all these like prominent people you know, it's no coincidence that bloody Me Too ripped through most of that demographic so intensely. Yeah, absolutely. So boundaries are always going to be the thing that you need to talk about. I think people sometimes think a boundary means that you can't do what you want to do. Like we have this intention, but you have that boundary. And so you're stopping me doing what I want. And the biggest thing that Ida has been saying is that that's not at all true. It actually makes it safer and easier to work in that space because you're taking all of that emotional angst out of it and laying it out in a really simple way and going, this is okay. This kind of touch is okay. We're talking about this in the context. This is the impact the scene needs to have. This is what the characters are doing. It's not about the actors themselves anymore. It's about the intention. It's about the acting And so they can say, I'm not okay doing this, but this is the intention. So how about we do this? Other ways to do a good job. You know, like there are ways to do a really great sex scene while also prioritizing people's comfort and safety. And like, it speaks for itself, honestly. Like it really, the results of Eda's work, 100%. Like I remember watching normal people and being stunned by those sex scenes. They were so beautiful. They were awkward. They were gentle and they were sexy. Like it was really sexy and you could like sense the chemistry between these two people. But it was because you know, I imagine those conversations about safety had happened and it was like so well choreographed. Yeah. You know how good chemistry is when you trust that someone's not going to like do something you don't want them to do? Like that's chemistry. <laughs> but but it's also the other way. It, it also works the other way where it's if you're playing someone, for example, you know, we talk about this with Ida a little bit later on, but if you're playing someone who is violent and having having a scene that's really integral to the plot, you know, maybe sexual abuse, whatever it is. If you're playing that character, the perpetrator, 
you need to have these guidelines. You need to know exactly what is okay with the other actor. You need them to understand that that this is acting, that there are boundaries here, that you'll stop as soon as it's uncomfortable so that when you go home, you're not looking back and going, oh my God, I just abused someone at work today. You know, you're going, I acted out a scene with my partner with full consent and understanding of why, how, and we stopped and we checked in and it wasn't me doing this thing to somebody. And I think that that's so relevant, not just to like film and theater, it's so relevant in life as well. Like there's so many learnings from that. It's like, if you can set your boundaries and be really clear about them and understand them and self-aware with them, you can push further because you know where your limits are, you know what's not okay, and you know what you're challenging. You're not challenging your safety. You're not challenging, like pushing yourself to an extreme where you're feeling completely unsafe and triggered you're pushing yourself to a point where you're going this is what I'm communicating this is where I'm at like there's something really really powerful I think in that idea just as an idea it's just the power of intention isn't it (laughs) like it really is quite a powerful moment absolutely You could have a situation, if you haven't considered it, where you've got, you know, either a heterosexual sex scene, you've got a single woman with a man sort of on top of her with nothing but a male crew, a male gaze. Yes, very often historically, you know, our crews are fundamentally men. And particularly with, uh, you know, lesbian sex scene, again, two women with nothing but a male gaze. And that energy dynamic can be really confronting and make your performers very vulnerable. So considering gender parity in a crew, but that you can't just, you know, conjure that up you know in a day that needs to be considered because also you want to keep everybody safe by having the best practitioners in the role so that needs to be considered in early days and then to put that in practice on sex education that was part of what i spoke about with john jennings and ben taylor right from the get-go was they'd already considered that gender parity in the crew and the third ad um, was a really experienced practitioner and she then was held the set as a first ad and we made sure that they had female boom operators for the sound as much as possible, not for every block, but for quite a few blocks, they had female um, directors of photography. So that was already considered and it worked really well. You mentioning the LGBT stuff is really interesting because I've had so many conversations with people about how frustrating it is when you watch a movie and then you get to a sex scene between two women, you're like, great. <laughs> you can tell it was men because it's just gratuitous that it's just like lesbian becomes more of a porn category than it becomes an identity, you know, and you're just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> How does this do anything? Um, Gentleman Jack. I did and I loved it. <laughs> so, so there we worked really hard. Um, do you Do you know this book? No. It's a really good book. And for those that are wondering, this is the whole lesbian sex book. A Passionate Guide for All of Us by Felice Newman. So, so that was one of one of the books that I got in research. And then, of course, all read a whole load of Anne Lister's diaries. And we spoke at length with the most amazing expert historian on Anne Lister, a lady called Anne Shoma. So that was a big, big focus for all of us. And it was really lovely when I first came and shared the work um, with the cast of Gentleman Jack. We had obviously Sally Wainwright and Choma and the director of the second block and all the actresses in season one who are going to play any of the intimate content. Again, speaking about making sure that we honoured, you know, a queer lesbian journey through. And because, of course, so much of it is actually, 
not just about the sex but about the emotional and psychological connection through mm. then that intimate moment and making sure that we've got that physical storytelling that we honored the queer community and made sure we got it right and I go yes it's been lovely receiving the response of the queer community other than them saying that Saran Jones nails were too long <laughs> It's really interesting to hear about the the journey that this industry has had because it, it's a f- version of activism, isn't it? It's had so many ripple effects and the idea that people will go into a set and consider a queer lens or consider a, a lens of so- something that's outside of societal norm, you know, it's, I put that in quotation points, um, but it's just that ripple effect is not going to happen until you actually go in with intention and really consider and carefully construct the boundaries and the guidelines so it's really great to hear about how that all developed it was incredibly a completely organic you know journey yeah. and I'm as amazed as anybody at where, where <laughs> I ended up but I'm also <laughs> completely delighted and, and keep on being humbled and taken aback by the things we've spoken about by just that intention of working well putting in place best practice the impact and the ripple effects it has had Talking to Ida about the effect that her work on intimacy coordination and the intimacy on set guidelines have had, because it has ripple effects beyond just setting a guideline for sex scenes. And some of the things that she was mentioning was really, really great, such as, you know, people feeling empowered, the LGBT community, for example, queer women watching scenes and going, I feel represented by this rather than I feel exploited by this. It's just this like sensational moment for guys to be like, oh, that's so hot. (laughs) Black gay men who are seeing this and going, oh my gosh, that's me. There's intersectionality to this they've actually thought about the different layers it's not just a hot moment there's also a lot of other societal things at play as we mentioned before like understanding that you can show scenes of abuse in movies and not have to abuse the actors themselves there are ways to make sure that the intention is clear rather than just exploiting people in order to make a show actually she mentioned that she had a school kid write to her and say that episode two of normal people was used in their sex ed class as a really great example of asking for continuous consent because the kids just wanted a practical example where it wasn't you know this is what you ask it was just look it doesn't have to be you know this really awkward thing it can just be checking in and and that was really beautiful to know that that was there and just so many other things like as we were talking about the the gender equity on set and all of the different pieces of this puzzle that can be explored because you're actually being intentional and you're using this as the conversation starter is so cool and it's so interesting because activism was not the point. I mean, it was a version of activism because it was trying to help people. But all of this other stuff, you know, the ripple effects of that was not the point of the guidelines. Yeah. And yet they have such a bigger reach than just helping actors. Doesn't surprise me at all. I think the impact is profound because it is profound, you know, like <laughs> there's such like autonomy and power and it's an incredible form of activism to be able to change how people see sex portrayed in various forms of media. Like I think we underestimate the impact of that 
a lot and how much watching sex in tv and films can really like change parts of our identity or can change like how we view our own pleasure you know like it it's massively transformative Obviously, while you're working with actors, you often, because it is a part of the story and you are making something that is, you're creating the the storyline of something, you would have to occasionally deal with really intense, difficult scenes that might be, you know, abuse or have power dynamics or, or anything like that. How do you navigate that more intense space? So if it's, um, you know, the idea of the risk assessment Part of the risk is, you know, what degree of nudity, what degree of simulated sexual content, but what's the emotional content as well? So absolutely, when there's challenging or abusive scenes, just like, you know, acknowledging that, clocking that. I'm very clear as a practitioner that I can facilitate and check out where someone's at. You know, they might share with me aspects in their lives that might be activating or triggering for them. Or so it might be something that's known to that particular performer. And also not just a performer, it could be a director that's working with this content or the DOP or anybody in the crew. So it's having a forum to go, this is the content. And like I say, I can facilitate and support, but, you know, to have really good skills in order to be able to then support someone emotionally and psychologically if they are activated is outside of my skills. And that's where I co-work with an artist wellbeing practitioner. I co-work with a lady called Louise Platt and I brought her in to my R&D when I was doing exploring the, the, the piece of work that ended up being part of the, um, you know, the guidelines um, in 2015. And so, yeah, so I identify the risk and then say, this is who I co-work with. And then in the choreographing of, you know, particularly challenging content, it's even more important that you are given time to rehearse. And you rehearse really just pure nuts and bolts, the bare bones of choreography and either co-working with a fight director or a stunt coordinator, be it in theatre or TV and film. So you're making sure that if someone is grabbed, that the person who is grabbing isn't the one that's got the energy, that one, the person who's being grabbed is controlling the energy. So you don't have the person who's grabbing just to hold the frame and hold tension in their own body. And then the person who's being grabbed can control that. So it looks right, but the person who is acting the one who's the victim has complete control also putting in place a timeout word so that the performers have the autonomy to halt the action even more important in challenging content and then i would make sure that we have that physical choreography really anchored really clear really you know in the actors bodies so that when you then go into the performance of it in bringing in the emotional and psychological energy of the perpetrator and the victim that um that the actors personally feel safe so they can really go there character wise and um you know giving that emotional psychological yeah sort of storytelling and then even more important at the end of the day making sure that we honor everybody and really sort of you know put in place techniques to step back away from that character honoring what they've given and then coming back to self really important I'm really passionate about, and I have my own views on this, I want to know what you think about abuse on film and TV, like violence against women and how it's portrayed. And my gut reaction is that, like, most of the time it shouldn't ever. Like, I feel like Hollywood has completely 
exhausted the amount of like violence against women that should have ever been shown in TV and movies. Like I just have no faith that that part of it is ever going to be able to be intentional. Those are my thoughts on that in particular. Well, it depends, I think, because it's like we were saying, it's all about the perspective and the conversation that you're having and the intention of the scene and the context of the scene. Especially if you're talking historical context, if you're doing things from perspective of people of colour, you may come across slavery or abuse in that sense and they might want to touch on it in some way. But you're right, like if it's in any way gratuitous, in any way, oh, they were abused so we should show that, then no, it shouldn't be done. It should be implied. So I May Destroy You with Michaela Cole really touched on abuse and exploitation and she dedicated her BAFTA win to Ida O'Brien because she was talking about how you can explore exploitation and abuse without perpetrating exploitation and abuse. And I think in that very specific context of people using a specific lens and making sure that the perspective that is told is from that lens and is not othering that lens, you know, it's not like some random white guy saying, we need to get you beat up because it makes sense in the story then I see the point of it. Again, it comes back to intention and it comes back to that conversation of are we doing this because it's necessary to the plot or are we doing this because we assumed it was necessary to the plot? But I also think it speaks to that's a really good example of it done in a way that intentional. I think it speaks to lived experience too and like people telling stories when they don't have lived experience of that particular story. Like Michaela Cole had lived experience and that's why she was able to tell that story. That has nuance and it has grey. Yeah, the fear for me is that the way that Hollywood and like the film industry and movies and everything has typically shown violence and abuse is very sensational to the point where it's almost like sexualized like it's for some type of sexual gratification it is so risky that's why I May Destroy was so phenomenal and transformative because that whole story top to bottom was done in a way that if a victim survivor was watching that they wouldn't be re-traumatized what I'm trying to get at is like I really appreciate that this the Eda's role has had this ripple effect because I think that intention has been missing for a long time in storytelling in in films exactly like you start with just we want to check in that that an individual is okay and then as soon as you take that moment you start realizing all of the other strings that are attached to any representation of any person you know and all of the things that sort of pile up on that because society you know the one person doesn't live in a vacuum I think that that's really the summary for this discussion right like the intention matters yeah just have a shred of intention come on Mm. I mean (laughs) I'm speaking like I'm a filmmaking expert but like I watched this shit. (laughs) I think it's so obvious. No, but this is the thing, right? Like the reason we're having this conversation is because we've noticed the lack. And and if we're sitting here as two queer women who've noticed the lack in our 
very narrow scope of experience, then I'm absolutely sure that people from other backgrounds yeah. um, and other creeds and religions and races and countries and everything else have noticed the lack of intention when their stories are told. And I'm sure there's absolutely nuance to this. I just think it's like that classic thing of reckoning with it a bit more. Well, this is the beginning. This is the very beginning because we're still so new. Like, ETA developed the guidelines, like, in 2017. We're not even talking a decade yet of this existing. Like, it's so new and the ripples have already been felt so far and the incredible work that she's done and and people who have started to work in this space have done has been felt so massively that it just shows the incredible potential that it has to continue to change and shape how we make film and theatre. Absolutely. And now that we know, we can ask those questions as well. And we can make film and (laughs) theatre. Are you ready to do a play? If we have an intimacy coordinator, I will be. And if it's a story that we are meant to tell, sign me up. Okay. Well, I've decided that we're going to make a biopic of your life. (laughs) Oh, please, God, no. (laughs) Speaking Um, of boundaries, it's a no from me. Let's not make that. (laughs) Well, that's a shame. I think all of us are really excited for a moment there. I read that you have a a motto that you've used, which is your no is a gift. Tell us your no so we can trust your yes. And I'd love if you could talk a bit about that. The intention always is that the actor can feel personally comfortable, so artistically that they can really be free and open and give their all and both that they know that they're happy and comfortable, but also that they're partner. So it's really important. Tell us what's not okay, you know, around touch. Tell us where your no-go areas are and take responsibility for yourself to really consider what is okay for me. You know, the times that we ask someone, you know, what's okay? And they go, oh, do you know what? I haven't ever thought about that. I'll have to take some time. So becoming self-aware, getting embodied so that you can body listen. That's a big shift in the industry where before it was if anybody said no in any way, shape or form, they absolutely would be considered a troublemaker, a bit of a pain in the ass, or a diva. And they absolutely would be concerned that they would lose their job or they wouldn't be invited back because they were you know, considered to be a difficult actor. Whereas actually it's the other way around in a process that invites your boundaries and like I say we're saying tell us your no so that we can trust your yes. If anybody is interested in the work and wants to get in contact please do so via the website which is intimacyonset.com go to the contacts page and you can contact me there any responses or thoughts we'd be delighted to hear from you other than that i just want to say to you rosalind and everybody who's working with you that it's just been a delight to share this work with you thank you for your interest and it's just been an absolute pleasure Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Bad Behaviour. I loved talking to Ida O'Brien about all of this stuff. I could literally talk for three and a half thousand years. In fact, if in another life I could choose another profession, another vocation, another job, I would be an intimacy coordinator. A hundred percent. It's so intriguing. It's so interesting. I want to know if Bridgerton had an intimacy coordinator. Ooh, should I look it up? With their first season as well, like, There was. 
Lizzie Talbot. See? And you could tell. You could absolutely tell because yeah. those scenes were banging. They were fucking great. Like, goddamn. Mm-hmm. Do you think I should be an intimacy coordinator? Should I change my profession? I think you should. I am all for people having many different chapters of their life with different things that they're doing. I think you should start looking into it. I think I'd be good at it. I don't think I'd be very good at it because, I don't know, I think I'm too much of a perv to be good at it. (laughs) I'd just be like (laughs) too, yeah, it wouldn't be, I'd lose that intention, you know? Well, this is the thing, like maybe there are people who are really looking for like, maybe they're looking for the gays, you know? Like maybe someone out there is like, we need a bit of a queer perspective intimacy coordinator who's also like a fun fresh flirty woman 100 percent. lesbian sex scenes have a long way to go i reckon on tv well have you seen gentleman jack because ida did that and she did a lot of research into it and it was genuinely one of the best sex scenes oh okay i will watch that i will absolutely watch it because i'm all for a great gay sex scene as we've previously Mm. discussed but i think you should absolutely add it to the list of things that you look into at some point when you feel like it because it is such a good cool interesting job I just think I'd struggle being around like really hot famous people and having to tell them like put your hand on her breast in this angle like I just it would it would get to me I'd I'd feel I'd be getting it wouldn't be put it on this angle it would be like what are you comfortable doing okay how can we choreograph that into this scene you know, where is your weight distributed so that you're feeling mm, like you have control of that's this moment? True. Like, yeah, I mean, look, did I fundamentally just mischaracterize the meaning of intimacy coordination? Yes. But what I mean to say is that famous <laughs> people make me nervous. Yeah. And I don't think that I, I don't think I'd have a problem with that. I feel like I would be like, yeah, okay, cool. They're famous. Now let's get cracking. Yeah. Oh my God. Do it then, please. Okay, great. Well, next episode, we'll be talking about my journey to <laughs> intimacy <laughs> coordination. Yeah. But seriously. So exciting. Go go chat to your local intimacy coordinator. See how, check in with them, see how they're doing. Do you know what though, too? I have a good question that I think we can end the episode on. Send us your favourite sex scenes. I want to know what your favourite sex scenes are. So send us a DM with your favourite sex scenes. Oh, I am so ready. I want to watch a compilation of our listeners' favourite sex scenes. Oh, my God. That sounds so good. Thanks so much for listening. We love you so much and we will see you on the next one. Bye. Bad Behaviour is a proud podcast with Diamantina Media. This episode's executive producer was Rosalind Ankatel. Hosted by Rosalind Ankatel and Nicola Cranich. Editing and sound design by Namcheja Megembe. Produced by Rosalind Ankatel, Nicola Cranich and Namcheja Megembe. A logo was designed by Bonnie Eichelberger. Misbehave sometimes Wanna change the world Indulge in some bad behavior